Welcome to Culture Factor. I'm your host, Holly Shannon. Our new season looks at creators, innovators, and entrepreneurs. Why? Because the gig economy is emerging. Talent has gone to work for themselves. Whether furloughed or part of the great resignation, they've birthed the big idea, and those 57 million Americans are contributing more than $1 trillion to the U.S. economy annually. This is what the new normal looks like. You now have a front row seat to creator culture and into the places where the magic is being made. Subscribe now to Culture Factor so your ears are treated to some of the best stories around the world. And if you take the time to rate, review, and share this, please send me the screenshot and I'll give you a shout out on my show. Please reach out if you'd like to sponsor Culture Factor. It is your opportunity to be a part of a show that is ranked in the top 2% globally and heard in over 77 countries. Email holly at hollyshannon.com to be a part of this global audience. Hello, Ryan Cora, and welcome to Culture Factor 2.0. Hi, Holly. Good to see you again, and uh, it's nice to be back. Yeah, we started Culture Factor together. Actually, you were one of my first interviews uh, when we started with COVID. Unfortunately, we're continuing with COVID, but maybe we're uh, probably all feel a little smarter and a little stupider about the whole thing all at the same time. I don't know. Yeah, Um, yeah, um, I, I feel that. Yeah. So before we dive into that, I'd love to give everybody, um, I'm going to read off your little bio here, um, just to catch people up on who you are, who maybe didn't catch the first episode. So Ryan Cora is the founder and CEO of Cora Events, an experience company building ideas to life through integrated event expertise across experiential concepts, custom fabrication, event production, and tenting and structures. After a 15-year career in venue management and marketing, Ryan acquired Anza Party Rentals, which became the foundation of his passion for creating better events. He anticipated that events would evolve from party planning to powerful platforms that communicate ideas and connect communities, and I agree. This forethought led to Ryan's strategic expansion of the company from a rental-focused vendor to an experienced company that now specializes in sporting and entertainment, activations, festivals, and environments. Under the guiding mantra, don't be boring, Ryan and his growing team work with world-class brands to execute some of the most iconic cultural moments. And get ready for this. It includes Coachella, Stagecoach, the Grand Prix of Long Beach, the ESPYs, the U.S. Open Golf Championship, the Grammys, and San Diego Comic-Con. And I'm sure the list is growing. As a trusted voice in entrepreneurship, event production, and marketing, Ryan has shared his perspective with LA Business Journal, Angelino, Special Events, and Modern Luxury, in addition to the company being named a top 100 fastest-growing private companies. While Cora has grown since its genesis, Ryan continues to foster a people-focused culture and remains rooted in the mission to build experiences with purpose. Now, I would like to start by when when I first met Ryan, his, his whole empire, like everybody else's in the event space, essentially collapsed overnight. And he... Uh, motivated himself and his team 
to reinvent themselves in light of the situation and started building out hospitals um, and trying to support communities that were trying to gather safely in some way, shape, or form as we started to maybe open up restaurants and things like that. And that's kind of where I left Ryan. Uh, that's kind of where we all did on Culture Factor. So where is Ryan Cora now and Cora Events? Well, I think, um, you know, when I, I think of it as in, in chapters, really. And I think we, we both met at, at such an interesting time in each other's life chapter, right? You're, um, you know, you, you kind of can't make up what's occurred. Um, it's the idea that we were going to have our worst year, best year. Um, and how do you determine what is happening that's good and what is happening that's bad? And um, I think over the last, you know, 16 months, our company has gone through, or, you know, as an industry, so much pain. But somehow in the middle of that, um, our organization and personally myself, I found so much good. Um, and, um, and so whether you want to say it's COVID or whatever, whatever the world's going through, um, yeah, what I knew of my company um, pre-COVID is, is, is so much different. It's interesting that you say that because I'd love to unpack a couple things you said there. So worst year, best year. And I think um, as a whole, we, as a world, we've had the worst year. That has been something that has been um, an experience that we all share. But for some, they've been able to create a best year at the same time, which is such a dichotomy. Like I can't even begin to say like how what a what a difference that you could be maybe not be able to be around your loved ones trapped in your home and at the same time maybe building an empire with an online business or some something yeah. crazy like that right like it it was so strange yeah um yeah i think um so you know most businesses right they say we're we're going to set out and we're going to grow and we're going to make a bunch of money and we're going to accomplish our mission vision or, or however they market and say that. And, and so for a business initially that, you know, has 200 employees and multiple warehouses and, you know, a lot of obligations when, when, when the opportunities to be able to sell what you're good at and what you've built over a 20 year period go away, um, you can be angry, right? You can sit there and be super frustrated. You could, try to dissect how did this happen to me and take something very personally and you know why why did this occur to me or um or you can find some um level of like aha like um like like this happened for a reason and i need to do something with this and um, I'm not saying that I didn't take it personal at times or that I wasn't angry or wasn't sideswiped, but somehow um, we were able to find an aha, this is what we could do and this is where we could go. And it's what led to, um, you know, one of our best years ever. So let's look at that. Um, what, 
what did you create out of those ashes? Yeah, so I think when you're when you're in, um, you know, I, I I always described it. You know, if a fire happened, you know, what what are you going to take out of your home or wherever you are? And and when you're in a panic situation, you really uh, you really grab the things that that um, are what I would describe as your survival, right? Like I need these things. And for us, those things as an organization were our ability to build. Like we we just knew. Um, you know, it, we could build something and we could build something fast. And so when we, when we um, observed the, the world and what was going on, the first things, obviously hospitals were like, you know, um, getting overloaded as they are right now. And it was, they needed to someone to be able to build temporary facilities really quickly. Um, and so that was our first move, right? So um, I started using this term in, in my mind, I call it downwind opportunities, downwind, things that just are natural moves um, for us. And so uh, we built hospitals, we got connected to a testing partner um, because testing started to become a thing. And then we, we said, well, we, at that time, testing was really slow, took a ton of hours, you had to sit in your car, wait you know, a bunch of time. And we said, well, we're good at building and we're good at experiences. Let's build um, something that could get a bunch of people through really quick and get them tested and get them on the road. And because uh, cities were doing testing and it was sometimes taking four to seven days before you even got your result back. Well, think about how much the uh, spread would occur if somebody didn't know. So we just focused really on great rapid testing, doing something quick, doing it accurate. And uh, we were able to utilize our skills to do that. That's amazing. Um, the One of the other things you said a little earlier on in the conversation is that there were 16 months of pain and um, your organization experienced that and you did personally. Um, it sounds to me like the good that came out of that was that you galvanized what was so great about Quora events and the people that you worked with that you were able to create a strategy almost on the fly and to recognize this, these downward, downwind opportunities. And do I have that right? Yeah, I think you, um, well, the first thing, I mean, when you're, it's hard to say you had a good year when, when you had to lay off 175 people, like what's good about that. Right. But, um, so there, there are parts of this that are extremely painful and you're trying to somehow reconcile them. But as an individual, I think, um, as a CEO, you can sometimes start chasing revenue and you can chase growth and you can chase, you know, you become so focused on building your own, as you described, your own little empire. I think the one of the best things, the good that came out is our company stopped fo focusing on itself and really just said, how can we be, how can we do good in the world? And somehow in doing good, um, we were able to retain, you know, a, a good amount of people. We were able to 
continue to build and and to keep doing what we like doing right like we didn't have to completely shut our business down and where a lot of people in our industry did they had to completely shut down they didn't do anything for 15 months we were able to continue to use our skills and that that's pretty that's pretty amazing that is really amazing uh and and figuring out how to support that team that you had to lay off and maybe bring back. I think a lot of people during this time um, have experienced furloughs and having to reinvent themselves. So I think as a business, you've had to do that. And I'm wondering if maybe even some of the people that you had to lay off and couldn't rehire were you able to, uh, were they able to grow in a different way? Did it maybe open them up to being more creative as well? Yeah, I think there's so many people that, um, it was awesome. I saw so many people start their own companies or their own deals, or they, you know, they kind of shifted into it and, you know, another career. That's why I'm saying, I think, you know, you try to carry everybody's devastation and the reality is you can't. Um, you know, you want to carry it with them. You want to be empathetic through it, but um, not no one person could carry what what everyone had to deal with. You know, over this period, and so um, you see some people that probably sit in bitterness and disappointment, and you see other people that use this kind of as this new door of opportunity and growth and evolution. And you would like to see everybody choose the second one, um, but that, that's just a part of people's stories, you know, that, that they have to choose their own path. Yeah, I think it's been humbling to watch some of the growth that has emerged out of the pandemic, um, the innovation and the creativity. Uh, I, I find it fascinating to watch, you know, like I feel like, the whole world had concrete being poured on them and it was slowly hardening. And in that, like some things actually bloomed through the cracks. <laughs> it was yeah. just really beautiful to, to watch some of that. And, you know, no disrespect to anybody who was not able to do that. It's not always available to everybody. You know, everybody's capacity is different. Right. Um, but where we see that gives us hope that for, for those that are still trying to figure it out, you know, look to some of these people as a beacon of light, like don't reinvent the wheel, maybe look at what, um, people on a parallel level are doing to, with, with what they were forced into and maybe grow from there. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, and I think, Again, I, I call it chapters, but I think there's there's chapters in this process, you know. And um, um, I I just felt like I wanted to encourage people, you know. In our in in our industry, I, I became a um, a voice through in our industry, and it was and the voice really was centered around like don't just look at the crash scene, get up, look around, and see how you can contribute. Um, and of the event industry has so many talented people that are, you know, so many, you know, creatives and 
organizers and implementers and builders. And um, I saw so many of them just so stunned staring at this crash scene. And I saw others just um, really take it on and evolve their themselves, their business. And, and those stories are, are awesome to see. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say I was one of those lucky ones that I was able to uh, sort of flip my event career that crashed and mm -hmm. burned. But um, so let's talk a little bit. Uh, so we started to see uh, an opening, if you will, you know, the sea started to part just a little bit for us with vaccinations and the the COVID uh, deaths reducing going down um and things starting to open up a little bit and i'm assuming that that also started to shift some of the events that cora was doing versus building out hospitals and testing centers so what started to happen as it opened up for you yeah so you know i think there was when 21 hit it was kind of this uh if you remember if we all remember Coming out of 20, um, the numbers were really high, right? Through November, December, and even into January. But I think there was kind of this feeling in our country, like new president, um, new day, the vaccine came out, and it was like, okay, everything's going to be fine. Let's go. And remember, large events take, you know, six months to they take six months, like no matter what, to really organize. And most of them take longer than that. But six months is 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 a reasonable time. So we saw in the beginning of 21 that events would begin to happen in July, maybe June. But you really began to see them being built in, for July, August, September. And now here we are. And um, these, you know, these organizations have invested, they've put deposits, they've employed people. And now a lot of these events are in limbo, right? So we're, I see larger events happening. If we remember, you know, the um, uh, Major League Baseball brought fans in. Uh, we saw the Super Bowl begin to bring fans in. You, you're, you were watching this, um, this build and, and sports um, most of the time is the major driver to these things. But then you see a New York auto show cancel and that's a major blow to our industry. So, so you're seeing um, big events work, outdoor work. Uh, we just built Pebble Beach Concours in, uh, in Pebble Beach and you, know, you saw a great attendance. Uh, but then at the same time, we have a local charity that's desperate rely desperately relies on their event to raise much needed funds, and they are most likely going to cancel and their their events at the end of September. So what? So this um, I would say that um, the smaller, um, the less prominent brands are getting more affected. Um, because uh, a powerful brand like the NFL is going to say, um, we brought in vaccinated, you know, uh, frontline workers and they're, they, have, they have a marketing machine behind them. But I see a lot of people uh, cancel out of optics, um, really. Uh, and honestly, do their event out of optics. You, you, it requires a marketing machine today to get your event across the line. 
um, unscathed from, you know, a lot of people still think it's dangerous. Yeah. From the scrutiny of the press and so forth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting point. So, um, let's just say that somebody is going to go forward with an event. I mean, I would say that you're the master at not only creating events, but creating safe ones because you actually took the road of helping build hospitals and testing centers. So there was, you learned a lot in the process of merging, uh, what you always did merging with this new, (laughs) the, the, the new frontier. (laughs) of starting an event. So are you finding your way into merging all of the stuff that you've learned? And are you able to deploy um, events provided that, you know, someone says, you know, we're going to go forward with it, but we're going to take that NBA (laughs) approach, even though we don't have the marketing team, like, can you be that for them? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, in July of 20, which was before, you know, anything we, we did, a safe and responsible event. We showed how you could use testing. I mean, this is way back. It's crazy. I mean, sometimes you look back and you go, I can't believe we were even able to do it. But we had a hundred person event in July of 2020, testing, um, safety standards, check-ins, the ability to communicate symptoms, uh, temperature checks, you know, all of these things. And what I think is interesting is Events came back and it was either like, did you get the vaccine or not? But the reality is there could have been so many additional layers of safety um, that they didn't implement, you know, like um, it's and, and I think that's actually what's caused a lot of the breakout that we're experiencing now is that gatherings came back. It came down to a single point. Um, And it felt so clear. It was like the vaccine and this thing goes away. And the reality is, I think that people really struggled to talk about imperfection. Like, hey, the vaccine is going to come out, but you are still potentially going to be able to get it. Um, We need to do additional things that are safe. Like, I still see events using buffets. I was at Dodger Stadium. And they're, they're really nice. I think it's called the Lexus Club or whatever. It's buffets. Why would you be uh, utilizing a buffet right now based on what you're doing? There's, there's things that can be done that would reduce contact. And to where you're not, you're not saying this vaccine is the only fix to something. Like there's other things that could be done. If you go to the airport and a person is coughing and they sound sick, like, or they visit, they, they visually don't look well. Why is that person getting on a plane just because they have a mask on? It's, 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 we're, we're just not talking uh, what I would describe transparently enough about what can be done in large gatherings or in, or in California, what is called a mega event to be able to make sure it's safe and responsible. You know, I think that post 9-11, we changed a lot of our methodologies around keeping people safe and secure. Uh, you know, just going to the airport was like crazy, right? The, the steps you had to go through. Yeah. Um, now, when you go through the airport, 
and you go through all those steps, I think it's almost normalized the whole process yeah. because we've been doing it for a long time now. Um, it was highly inconvenient uh, in the beginning because there was all these new added layers of security that were never there before. All these extra steps we had to take to get from, you know, the the front of the <laughs> the drop off <laughs> at departures all the way to the gate. Um, now they're inconvenient, but we almost like expected it, it, it. We just go through it. So I sort of feel like there has to be um, a protocol put together for uh, safe events that will probably feel pretty wonky and cumbersome and a lot of extra steps for the people who are putting on the event and for the people attending that will just basically suck in the beginning, right? But if we do it regularly at all events and can really have um, events that we're not afraid of, we can normalize that procedure and and go on to have events. If if what's holding us back is just like, we can't just say, okay, you've been vaccinated, so wear a mask, you're good. You're saying, okay, well, a, lo a big portion of the population chose not to be vaccinated. So that changes that piece of the game. Somebody could be vaccinated, but have immune immunodeficiencies and still needs the booster, but hasn't had it yet. Um, you know, you talked about buffets. We were pre-packaging food uh, to keep it more sanitary. Like there's right. things, right? Yeah. So can you create what those SOPs are for safe events so that it could be replicated across the industry? Not that I'm putting yeah. you up to the task, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. you no, know. No, I, I, and I, I think we've done a lot of that. I think we've done a lot of that. Here, here's what I'd say. One of the things that we've talked a lot about during the pandemic is don't let perfection get in the way of progress. And I think somehow we've thought that like, like, like health is just going to be perfect. Like gathering people together has the chance of you know, some of the largest music festivals in the world, there is the largest breakouts of sexual diseases coming out of those. So, you know, it's like, what do you want to focus on? What do you want to choose? I mean, gathering people, people, um, there's risk. Uh, there's the risk that, that bad ideas are going to be shared, um, bad experiences, things, right? Mm -hmm, I mean, you mm -hmm. could go down, you could right. go down the list. Right, right. Um, there's a obviously there's a heavy emphasis around COVID more than anything I've ever seen, more than even like what you described after 9-11 safety, like people's safety. But yet we see at large gatherings, there's been shootings, there's been things, right? Mm -hmm. um, Drugs. And a lot of, yeah. 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 Ton, ton, tons of things of risk. And, and, and these things are exposed at event because you're, you're, you know, you're creating, you know, some of these boundaries to a space, but these things occur in our world and our communities every day. It's, it's really to me about what do you want to focus on? And then the second part would be is what could the event take on to manage? Can an event manage that there would be 100% no drug use? Can an event manage that 100% there would be no sexual disease, that there would be no tr 
transmission of any sickness or illness, that there wouldn't be any transmission. Can an event really promise an attendee this? And um, it would be like it would be like driving down the freeway and saying, "Can every driver promise me that they're not going to be distracted this morning?" I'm driving 70 miles an hour. You're three feet away from me. And I need to trust that you're going to be responsible while we commute. Now, we don't commute at 70 miles an hour in Los Angeles. But I... <laughs> the, the, so, so, so those standard operating procedures, um, I think the event world is taking on. I think we're helping to contribute to those. But at the end of the day, they require a lot of self um, responsibility and management of the attendee. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, and, and there's other measures that could be put in place that we understand when we show up to these things that there's a certain risk involved. I mean, we can't always be signing documents every time we buy a ticket to something. There has to be uh, an understanding that if you're showing up, you're making a certain personal choice and right. you can't hold people liable for the fact that you showed up. I'm often asked, does my business need a podcast? My answer is yes, that nothing else is the fast track into thought leadership and being established and seen as the expert in your industry as podcasting. What's increasingly evident is that it's a branding machine. It kicks doors open for you to have conversations with leaders creates a pathway to partnerships and connections on a deeper level. You will not be your industry's best kept secret. Your ideas and business will have global reach. So step into your power. Go to hollyshannon.com to launch your podcast now. And now back to our interview. There's a lot of uh, creativity that has emerged. Um, there's a lot of new events being born, uh, born of ideas of uh, people who are quite visionary, lots of things happening that are really, really good. What are, could you share with us maybe some events that might be on deck for Cora for hopefully 2022 uh, that you could also create like a new normal around it? Uh, with protocol that could be emulated across the industry. Not to put yeah. any pressure I, on you, Ryan, but I feel yeah, like you're no, the no, man. No. <laughs> um, I, um, I, I, you said that a lot of events are being created. I personally don't see that um, as much as I, I did in the past. I think people are still really waiting, right? So they're going to default back to um, the, their basics, the sporting events, um, maybe some of the music uh, venues that they were attending, but new, uh, creating something that, that, that's new. I, I see more delay. It's like, it's like there were so many good things going. Um, there were bad things too, but they, um, everyone's just like on this delay pattern or this push or this pause. Um, most of those people are, the, at least the big ones, are saying, we're just going to wait. We're just going to pause until things are are and you know the way they used to be this is just the way they used to be like so i think that's an error personally i would i would be saying right now let's take it on but a lot of that has to do with cost you know it's like 
how much are you willing to pay um, and how much additional cost? So I've seen two, uh, well, a couple major impacts of cost in regards to events. The first one would be a check-in process, right? You go to a stadium, uh, security, you're taking things out of your pockets, right? There's this level of security that, that need to occur. I think that's a post, you know, 9-11, you know, yeah. Um, and then the second one is this increased cost in audiovisual, um, you know, that this thing, this needs to be made available through the web or through social or through this digital component. And people totally underestimate that. So when somebody goes, oh, we had a hybrid event and somehow we thought this was going to be a lot cheaper, um, I, I would say that it almost doubles the cost mm -hmm. to truly be hybrid, um, you know, from how do you stream that? How do you produce that, the, the level? And it's really difficult to produce an interesting something um, for a long amount of time. So um, that's why I see people waiting right now. It's like, what are we investing in? What are we doing? The costs are going up. And it's, it's actually what concerns me about the industry long-term because um, ultimately a lot of events became connecting a buyer with a seller, right? Brand activations and things like that. And um, if brands are able to connect to their buyer digitally without having to produce something live, um, I think you'll see less events. It's interesting that you say that. I think, and it remains to be seen, okay? Um, it's just my opinion. Uh, it's interesting to me that the virtual uh, connection between the brand and the customer has grown on a global level because what was not available to say somebody in France to come over to an event that was held in the US, but it was a critical component of their customer base, the virtual event made it possible for people to participate in more things that maybe they couldn't have participated in before. The flip side of that is I think it is harder for, and I could be off on this, but for some of the bigger deals to take place because people want to sit across from somebody and see the body language and shake a hand and sign a real contract with a real pen, not a DocuSign. Um, I think there's still that piece that has almost a traditional element to it. And there's a lot of big hitters with deep pockets that are of an, a generation that still appreciates that and will not have, uh, you know, they might have this back and forth on a screen to start a relationship, but they, they won't seal the deal unless it's live and in person. So I don't, I don't know. Go ahead. Yeah. I think, I, I, I think, my, I think my thought on that would be, so t typically people that have money figure it out, right? Like, you know, they, they figure it out whether they're gathering on a golf course or gathering on a private jet, like people that have like real money, deep pockets, as you described, they're meeting in person and figuring it out. They're, 
it's it's the attendee it's the person that just loves music and doesn't care how much money they have in their pocket and can i go see that live you know can i go experience something it's it's um so i guess what i'm saying is um from my vantage point um well, like you talked about it um, before we went on, you know, we were talking about Clubhouse and Clubhouse has become a really nice community for you. It's become a place that's worked well for you and, and it's helped you probably personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. And so if, if I said, you know, Clubhouse is putting on a live conference, would you like to go? You might say maybe, but, but in the past, clubhouse was a live conference and it didn't have a digital component potentially right so it's it's whether a person um evaluate in their evaluation says i need to be live to do what i want to do personally and professionally and if i've created some muscle some capability of doing these things digitally and i can kind of come as i as i want um you just potentially might see um, the demand be in a different spot. You're right. You're right. I hadn't really uh, distilled it down to that. And, you know, different pockets, right? Different wallets, being able to handle different things. Um, it's a good point. I think that wh- what I also saw was that people were so hungry to come together that when travel, for example, opened up a little bit, people went crazy booking, you know, different events and hotels and reservations and so forth. So that's why when I saw that, I realized that while there might still be a large contingent of the population of the world that is still in fear and is not ready for that, there's a lot of people who are. So I feel like the live event is not lost. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it will come back. And I think, unfortunately, the price of it will go up, A, because we'll have to have the health component built in. Um, and B, we'll have to have the virtual component because, like you said, you know, you have to have that now. It almost was like the beast that got unleashed, like you sort of have to be offering your potential client the ability to show up virtually or live, which doubles the cost. Yeah. Yeah. So will it come back? Yeah, it's going to come back. But, you know, at what capacity? You know, like when we say that airlines and people are traveling, well, um, yeah, it's going to look really busy because it's starting at a zero right or astounding basically but i mean there's a lot of countries you still can't even go to there's a lot of places you can't even travel to and so um what i would say to it is i think the average i would say the average um production experiential company and events they're probably operating at 10 to 20 percent of what they were doing Mm pre-pandemic now there's other vendors that are working right that are have high capacities um because things are going more mobile um like um you would see um high capacities well like take a tent right over the last 16 months a lot of people wanted to go outdoors and so tents are a lot of tents are going to be sold 
so rental companies that had tents are going to move, but um, were they moving sofas and, um, you know, fancy lounge? No, you know, that those, those were not things that were moving. So, but, so I think as an industry across the board, um, I would say, I, I would, I would estimate that, that it's probably operating at a 20 to 30% average of pre-pandemic capacity. Mm. That's, that's, I mean, imagine trying to run a restaurant on 20 to 30% capacity. It's, it's the long-term effect effects, you know, the government um, did such a nice job. I mean, you could say they saved so many businesses by PPP loans, but what occurs when all of those debt forgivenesses, um, PPP loans fully go away? I think you're, you're going to see potentially a major carnage of, of companies. You're probably right, which is really sad. Um, I, I hope that um, I'd love to see some more safety measures, some sort of protocol put in place that we might be able to um, skirt those numbers. It's, it's really yeah. saddening. Yeah, I agree. So what's next for Ryan Cora then? Where, where are you at right now? Are you lying in wait or are you building things? Um, yeah, so, um, so in these chapters, you know, you, you really try to live in the present, right? You can't control the future, obviously. You don't know what's coming. And recently in Los Angeles, we got a you know, new update on mega events where you have to wear a mask. You're watching major event companies now require vaccinations to attend sporting you're seeing nfl teams commit to this you're seeing you're seeing a lot of that right so and you and you and you don't want to go on the past because what's the past it, it, you know it creates some level of foundation so really trying to work in the present if i if i look in the present right now there's a major issue around testing um you're seeing some of the largest testing numbers in the nation occurring now these mass testing centers that we saw in the news where there's big white tents and a long car and all these orange cones, you know, or something like that. So I think right now we're just trying to do a great job for the, um, for the people that we're working with, you know, right now we're helping the Grand Prix build their event. We're going to start helping BNP tennis. So taking these customers, probably doing less business, more attention, helping them navigate all of the safety concerns and, and things. And so, so um, I right now am just working so hard to be in the present. Um, and I feel like if I really do a good job and help people, you know, my mission personally is to help people regather safely and responsibly. And I just know that if I do that every day um, to the best of my ability, I think I'm going to come through this and, and with, with some new muscle. Um, that I, I, I didn't have before. Wow. Ryan, I'm, I'm going to actually close on that. That was just so well said. And I appreciate the advice. I think um, people could really take that advice themselves. Try to live in the present as much as you can, even though it is hard and we are bombarded by a lot right now. And do the best to create and be creative with what you are doing. And I think uh, 
that's really great advice that that you've given. Thank you. Yeah, you got it. Um, well, I really appreciate um, and again watching you evolve and go through this and be a support to me. You know, you um, in this process, I think um, have done what we were just talking about, and it's like I just want to be helpful. I want to be good. Um, I want to, um, you know, I want to help. And I think that's what has made you successful. And it's what um, truly, when I think of Holly Shannon, I think of someone who's really interested in helping and to do good and to bring about positivity. So I so appreciate you and um, how you've been to me through all this. So thank you. Thank you. That is the sweetest testimonial I'm going to hold on to. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. Thank you. Thank you, That's Ryan. True. I appreciate that a lot. I, I really want to see uh, everybody succeed in what they're doing. So I'm always happy when I can provide a little bit of um, whatever motivation or advice or just a, you know, a high five for what you're doing. <laughs> thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, you got it. So uh, thanks for coming on Culture Factor 2.0. Thank great. you. Thank you for having me.